A good rule to remember for life is that when it comes to plastic surgery and sushi, never be attracted by a bargain. Hello, and welcome to episode 206 of Under the Cull of MS. This is going to be a MS health segment run episode. We'll get some talk about the swank diet fermented foods and drinks uh little lbn low dose low dose naltrexone talk some sexual health tremors maybe we'll end it with a little poop talk <laughs> that's what today's episode has to offer i'm trying to talk with my some my replacement dentures in the bottom of my mouth, and I'm noticing it's harder to talk with them in, and it is with the mouth, so I don't know if I'm going to keep trying to use them and get used to them or what, so. but we're going to have to talk with teeth in one day anyways, so I might as well get some practice in. So that's what the show has to offer today, and I will get back to you with all those things and a bunch of little segments in a little bit. Time for another MS health segment. This one, let's talk about everybody's trying to different diets and stuff, and a lot of MSers were pushed onto the swank diet for multiple sclerosis. And it's designed and studied by neurologist Dr. Roy Swank, PhD originally. Became popular in 1990 when his team published a study on eating plan in his journal. Uh, I thought the Swank diet was designed from from the lady, but apparently a man is taking responsibility for it now. Unless it's a different diet that I'm thinking of that sounds very similar to this one, but. some results showed promise, but there are some drawbacks to the diet, and you need to do a lot more research on it. Basic rules of the Swank diet uh, it focuses mainly on fat, with the following restrictions of no more than 3 teaspoons or 15 grams of saturated fat per day, a minimum of 4 teaspoons or 20 grams of unsaturated fat oil and a maximum of 10 teaspoons or 50 grams. So oils you're able to consume on the swank diet include sunflower seed, olive, safflower, sesame seed, grape seed or canola, cotton seed, linseed, soybean, peanut, flax seed, which I'm sure there's more nowadays since they've come up with so many other different oils based off the extra virgin olive oil uh, process and stuff like that. Swank diet also, Swank MS diet also focuses on consuming fruits, veggies, and whole grains. It recommends eating two fruits a day, preferably fresh fruits, two cups of vegetables per day, whole grain products such as as much as possible. Low refined grains are permissible. Swank diet also limits coffee to three cups a day, allows for an occasional glass of wine, and suggests taking certain vitamin and mineral supplements. Uh, it offers a few rules on protein, like no red meat, including pork in the first year, up to three ounces of red meat per week after the first year, up to four ounces of white chicken or turkey per day. All white fish and shellfish are allowed, though fatty fish is limited. Three eggs per week, but no more than one per serving. Only non-fat dairy products or no more than one gram of saturated fat per serving with a recommended two servings per day. 
it's basic concept and it's take healthy foods and limit the non-healthy ones and basically <laughs> you'll lose weight if you change your diet at all so and many of us are eating boxed canned shit and that's just not good non-processed crap or processed crap but swank study found the diet may slow deterioration and lower death rates well duh, any diet does that uh, there's not a lot of evidence or information about this diet. They were working on it still back in the day. Uh, it's possible that Swank diet, Swank MS diet, may help address specific symptoms with nutrient uh, shortage and stuff in your body, things like that. Overall, healthy habits with disease-modifying therapies can delay relapses and reduce the intensity of symptoms. Common sense. I mean, most of this is just the biggest downfall to the diet is the restrictions. Um, be aware of any vitamin deficiencies, which is why the Swank Diet suggests supplementation in it. It's a diet best tackled with the help of a nutritionist and your MS care provider. Basically, the best thing you can do for your health and controlling MS symptoms is having a strong relationship with your health care provider. It starts with a conversation about what is best for you in your current situation. The most important takeaway is do you have someone on your team that you've identified that you can ask questions about yourself, whether that's about diet, disease modification, or exercise regimen? Uh, what's best for you, not what is best for MS, because MS is a condition and you are a human being. If you want to try to swing diet or make other dietary changes, talk to your healthcare provider first. Check out the resources. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of what diet I'm thinking that was the one that the gal did that was in a wheelchair with MS and then she got out of it and now I see her nowadays and she's looking pretty rough again. I thought, oh, I diet. But yeah, we'll come across it, I'm sure, soon enough. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, there's not enough research on any of these. And even the research that is out there, it's all common sense. I mean, you eat healthier, you're going to lose some weight. And you're going to feel better. It's not going to cure anything, but it's going to help your body seem more responsive and effective. But, but yeah, if you want to try the Swank Diet for MS, check it out. I don't suggest it, but like I said, I suggest building an anti-inflammatory diet around your body and how it responds, not listening to other people with their ideas and concepts. You hear about them doing great the first year, and then you don't hear from the people again a few years later. All right, just put that monster in check, and we'll get back to you with more segments pretty soon. T -t 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 time for another MS Health segment. Let's check out some fermented foods and drinks that'll help you boost your digestion and help your health. Fur uh, is a fermented dairy product that may improve lactose digestion, decrease inflammation, and boost bone health. And some of these are pretty nasty tasting, but they're really good for your gut health, so it's worth it. You can sit there and Mix a lot of this stuff into other things to make it taste better if you need to. Tempeh is made from fermented soybeans. It's high in probiotics. and contains compounds that may act as antioxidants and help improve heart health. Natto is a fermented soybean product. It's high fiber contact, contact content. May promote regularity and help prevent bone loss. 
It also produces an enzyme that can help reduce blood pressure and help dissolve blood clots. So that's a plus. Big clots run in my family, so I'll do what I can to prevent that. Mbuka is a fermented tea. Although more research is needed, animal and test tube studies have found that it could help protect the liver, decrease blood sugar, and reduce levels of cholesterol and triglycerides. And if you want to make your own kombucha, it's just one giant mushroom that you're growing in a jar. <laughs> Interesting, but I want to try the process someday. But. Miso is a seasoning made from fermented soybeans. It's been associated with improved heart health and reduced risk of certain cancers, though more human side effects or side more human studies are needed. <laughs> My brain's all over today. They're actually kimchi. Oh, kimchi is made from fermented vegetables such as cabbage or radishes studies have found that it may help reduce insulin resistance and blood cholesterol and they have so many good pre-made kimchis out there and kombuchas and all that stuff that with a variety of different flavors just look at them make sure they don't have no weird ingredients they're just gonna make it Get a bunch of sugary crap in your system too, or something to change the taste and flavoring. Sauerkraut is made from shredded cabbage that's been fermented. It's high in antioxidants that are important for eye health, and it's easy to add to many dishes. Sit there and get yourself some ring bologna or some brats or some hot dogs, and just make a big old pan of sauerkraut with the meat laying in there. So let it all cook together, and then you can have your hot dogs, throw some sauerkraut in your dog, your brats. This very simple, easy, quick, throw-together meal. It's healthy. Probiotic yogurt is made from fer fermented milk. It's high in nutrients and could help reduce body weight, lower blood pressure, and improve bone health. Blowing hell. Hmm. Basically, fermentation can help increase both the shelf life and health benefits of many different foods. The probiotics found in fermented foods have been associated with improvements in digestion, immunity, weight loss, and more. In addition to containing these beneficial probiotics, fermented foods can have a positive impact on many other aspects of health and are excellent additions to your diet. So try those out. See if you can get your gut biomes working a little bit better. And put the monster in check and we'll get back to you again soon. Time for another MS Health segment. Today we're going to talk about LDN, low-dose naltrexone. I've had people that talking about it, so I get some information out there for everybody. Low-dose naltrexone, LDN, describes the off-label experimental use of the medication naltrexone at low doses for diseases such as Crohn's, and multiple sclerosis, but evidence is evidence for recommending such use is lacking. So don't take my word for it. Check with your doctor and see what they have to say for it. It's basically naltrexone is typically prescribed for opioid dependence or alcohol dependence, as it is a strong opioid antagonist. It has been suggested that LDN might operate as an anti-inflammatory agent and therefore be used to treat some chronic conditions such as chronic pain. But 
but research is still highly experimental and a few studies have been replicated. Uh, some proponents of LDN have brought forth unproven claims about its efficiency in treating wide ranges of diseases, including cancer, chronic fatigue syndrome, and HIV AIDS. Uh, basically, some potential uses for pain and more of LDN. Uh, Opioid drugs are strong painkillers that can cause addiction if abused. Naltrexone was used to block their effects and treat addiction in the past. But doctors gave, gave it to opioid addicts in recovery to prevent relapses. The rationale was completely shut off the high, to, to completely shut off the high of abused narcotics by blocking all receptors in advance. Naltrexone renders narcotic, narcotics powerless. Uh, proponents, it's used off-label for autoimmune diseases, chronic pain, and inflammation. It's claimed to increase natural opioids, opioids and balance the immune system. Limited studies suggest side effects are mostly rare and mild. Likely few drug interactions. Uh, skepticisms of large-scale studies are lacking. Not enough data to rate effectiveness. Unapproved, unofficial use off-label. Dosing usually to be adjusted to each individual. Use largely. Use largely relies on clinical expertise, and long-term safety is unknown. Uh, there's insufficient evidence for autoimmune conditions, uh, and according well, it's according to one doctor, it might support a healthy immune response by rebalancing T helper cells and so-called master cells of the immune system. People with autoimmune issues tend to have impaired T helper cell functions, which yeah. We have the T and B cell issues with our multiple sclerosis. A specific subtype of these T helper cells are TREGs, which are thought to be responsible for suppressing harmful Th1, Th2, and Th17 overactivation. Scientists think they prevent the immune system from going into an autoimmune overdrive and attacking itself. Uh, LDN is hypothesized to affect autoimmune disorders by boosting endorphins and rebalancing the immune system via T helper cells. Clinical trials are yet to confirm this. I'm not sure when this report was put out, but I know they're still working on tons of information on it. And people are obviously interested in it because they're hearing things, but. Evidence on LDN and MS patients is mixed. Larger trials should investigate this further. LDN is being researched for boosting opioids and relieving pain, fatigue, and stress in people's with, people with fibromyalgia, but the data is, is still inconclusive. Uh, LDN has yet, yet to be clinically researched in people with complex Regional pain syndrome, CRPS. It's hypothesized to silencing micro, microglia and boosting internal cannabinoids. Uh, the anti-seizure potential of LDN is being researched in animals, but we don't know how it affects people with epilepsy. Uh, LDN is still an experimental approach for IBD and IBS, despite some early promising research that's irritable bowel system. Uh, it's unknown whether LDN can help with chronic fatigue and progressive nerve disorders. The available research 
produced mixed findings. Some physicians claim that LDN helps with autism and prescribe it off-label, but there's no solid evidence back to back that up. LDN is hypothesized to improve emotional and mental perception of reality, which is key for overcoming trauma and PTSD, yet proper clinical trials are lacking. It's like all this is just all speculation. So every time I get a bunch of people talking about something, it's usually something that's newer on the market or just newer concepts of its use or whatever. And everybody gets all excited. We just everybody wants that miracle drug. We're never gonna be able to cure ourselves. So let's just constantly look for that one drug that's gonna totally fix us. Not limited evidence points at the potential of LDN for helping people overcome drugs, cigarette, and alcohol addiction, but more research is needed. Dr. Bihari proclaimed LDN effective against HIV and other infections, but no clinical trials uh, support this, his claims. The use of LDN in people with cancer is not evidence-based and should not be recommended. LDN and alpha-lipoic acid are being researched in cancer, but no large-scale trials have been conducted yet. Basically, naltrexone is a drug that blocks opioid receptors. Low-dose naltrexone is being researched in people with autoimmune diseases, chronic pain, inflammation, fatigue, cancer, and autism. However, there's still insufficient evidence to back up its use. LDN is claimed to boost the body's natural opioids, endorphins, and encephalians and rebalance the immune system, which I don't know why it boosts your natural opioids, but it blocks, it's designed to block opioid receptors, which I don't know, that doesn't make sense that you're blocking the opioid receptor, but yet you're boosting the opioids, the natural opioid system in your body, which is also your, probably your cannabinoid system, your endocrine system, and stuff like that. But LDL is only available from a compounding pharmacy or the doctor's prescription at that time. I don't know if it still is like that. Uh, let's see, you got how does it work? Researchers don't yet understand the drug's exact mechanism of action. Uh, it blocks certain receptors in the nervous system that cause symptoms of fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. Some evidence suggests that LDN works as an anti-inflammatory in the central and peripheral nervous system, possibly by limiting the activity of specialized cells through microglia. Uh, LDN is not FDA approved for fibromyalgia, but it is sometimes prescribed off-label as with fibromyalgia. LDN is sometimes prescribed off-label for chronic fatigue sim- symptoms also. Uh, dosage and for use in treating fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. Naltrexone is generally given in doses of 4.5 milligrams or less. Typically, you'll start with 1.5 milligrams and work up to 3 and then increase to 4.5. The effects attributed to this low dosage are not seen at higher doses. I'm kind of curious because I'm on this Belbuca shit, which I don't really feel it doing anything. I'm getting ready to double strength again. I think I can only double it like two more times and then I'll be at the max. But, uh, yeah, I don't, this, my Belbuca seems very similar to this because it's like a, my Belbuca is an opioid related, uh, people that are addicted to opioids and stuff, they use this to drink, take them off it. And, but yet it works as a painkiller. It's really weird. So I don't really understand, but I think it, I think they're very similar. Uh, some side effects are dizziness, 
and syncope, which is feigning, which I learned about because I think my mom's got syncope, syncope collapse, where she just faints and drops, blacks out. Headache, insomnia, anxiety and nervousness, sleepiness and fatigue, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain, cramping, decreased appetite, injection site pain and swelling when injected rather than taken in capsule form, joint pain, excessive muscle contractions, upper respiratory tract infection or sore throat. That's... It's more stuff to watch out for. Uh, if we get into see what if there's any other new, there's no real other information out there. The other everything's just pretty much repeat after repeat with all the stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'll wait and see. And it does say you shouldn't take LDN if you take opioid medications, are in an opioid maintenance program, are in acute opiate withdrawal, or if you have liver problems. Basically, LDN is a promising potential treatment for MS symptoms with relatively few side effects compared to other treatments. However, experts are still trying to figure out exactly how it affects MS symptoms. If you're interested in trying it, talk to your doctor to make sure it's a safe option. They can also help you find a compounding pharmacy that prepares it for you. But, yeah, I'm going to talk to my pharmacist, see what they have to offer as far as opinions of what it is, what it does, and see if there's any beneficial effects. And I'll talk to my doctor and see what the relevance of LDN and Velbuca is because I, I really think this medication, this Velbuca stuff I'm on is very similar to low dose naltrexone. It's not doing shit for me. But yeah, check that out if you're interested in talk to your doctor, try it. Your pharmacist can compound something for you, whatever. But yeah, I think I'm going to wait for more research myself. I don't like these miracle things where everybody's like, oh, I heard that this does this, and it's going to cure you. Why don't you start shoving this shit down your throat? See if you survive. Because <laughs> everybody that's not a doctor is more of a doctor than the actual doctor. All right, put the monster in check, and we'll get back to you with some more goodies relatively soon. Time for another MS health segment. Today, let's talk about sex and MS. Let's talk about sex, baby. Talk about you and me. Uh, (laughs) Basically, MS can interfere with sex in a number of ways, but there are also ways to keep your sex life alive and satisfying. If you feel that MS, multiple sclerosis, has affected your sex life, you're not alone. Many people with MS experience some degree of reduced libido, interest in and desire for sex, and diminished sexual pleasure and functioning and feeling. According to a study published in 2016, however, once you understand how MS leads to problems with sex, you can focus on finding ways to regain your enjoyment of sexual intimacy. Uh, MS can directly affect your sexual response and function if it damages the nerves that carry messages from your brain, brain from your brain to your sexual organs. Um, brain, brain, brain. Uh, yeah, for men, this can mean difficulty attaining or maintaining erection. Most common sexual problem related to MS or difficulty ejaculating. For women, it can mean reduced vaginal lubrication. Both men and women may experience hypersensitivity or reduced sensation in the genital regions. And both may have trouble reaching orgasm. 
There are also indirect ways by which MS can interfere with sexual interfere with sexual desire or function. MS related fatigue or depression can have a libido dampening effect as can pain, odd sensations such as pins and needles, numbness, tingling in parts of your body or spasticity in your muscles, uh, reluctance to talk to your to talk about the effects of MS can also be a bar- barrier to your sexual activity. Uh, some MS symptoms may be so personal that you have a difficult time telling your partner about them and decide to simply avoid sex instead. Bladder and bowel com- control problems can present bar- fairly significant challenges. Those kinds of symptoms are not directly directly related to sexual machinery, but can interfere with interest and ability to participate in sex. Uh, The emotional impact of MS can also interfere with sex and erode your self-esteem and confidence, as well as the romantic relationship itself. The stress of living with MS, for example, might be draining on all the energy you once put into the relationship. Uh, Many people with MS no longer see themselves as sexually desirable, and this negatively impacts their sex lives. Uh, In a long-term relationship, MS can sometimes cause role reversals. Maybe you were the caregiver, and now you are the one who needs care. That can affect a couple's sex life. Also, stresses such as job loss. That can that can change the experience of sex for an individual or couple. Romance and MS don't have to be mutually exclusive, although you might find it embarrassing or difficult to talk about intimate concerns, communications with both your partner and your medical team. The first step to getting your sex life back on course. Uh, also, the importance of working with your medical team so they can make a practice of asking you about your sexual function. This can be an often ignored issue that can have a major impact on families, so it's good to be outward with your medical team. Uh, there's several available treatments that can improve sexual function and help rekindle romantic feelings. Some options are medications, oral medications, injections, implants that are used by men without MS may help those with MS dealing with erectile dysfunction. Lubrication, using a personal lubricant may improve women's sexual pleasure and alleviate discomfort. Therapy, Individual or couples therapy can help both partners work on a source of stress or depression that may interfere with sex, improve communication, and facilitate ways to be more supportive for each other. In sex therapy, this form of therapy focuses specifically on sexual problems after getting to know you. Your therapist may suggest techniques or exercises to try at home to help increase your sexual satisfaction. Excuse me. But basically, talk with your doctor about what treatment or combination of treatments would be most helpful for you. Sexual dysfunction is quite common, so chances are your doctor is more comfortable with the topic than you think. Uh, doctors are pretty much open nowadays with everything, and <laughs> they're not going to treat unless they're a real asshole. They aren't going to treat you differently because of things you ask they're going to understand what you're going through and listen and help you out uh yeah do what you can there's a variety of things you can try to help reclaim your sexual health so talk to your team talk to your loved one see what you can do get the benefits that you need and put that monster in check and we'll get back to you again pretty soon
Time for another MS Health segment. Let's talk about tremors. MS tremors today. Tremors in your hands and other areas. Tremors experienced by people with multiple sclerosis are often characterized by a shaky voice. A rhythmic shaking effect affecting the arms and hands and less commonly the legs, head, and torso. Difficulty holding or controlling a pen, spoon, or other tools or utensils. I don't know what the heck it was the other day, but I was dropping everything. I could not hold on to anything. Whether it was light, simple like a pencil, or it was something big and heavy, it just no matter what, I could not hold on to it. Even with a handle, I was dropping to it. Uh... But yeah, hand tremors can be classified as an intention tremor, dystonic tremor, or an essential tremor. Hand tremors caused by MS may be mistaken for Parkinson's Parkinson's disease tremors. A person with MS may experience a hand tremor when reaching for something. Hand tremors can occur at rest as well. It's like yeah, it's like at the weirdest time you can just be sitting there. Casually calm, and all of a sudden your hand just starts going off. That's why our our disease progression resembles so many other diseases that people actually take into consideration and see as major conditions and diseases. But they look at us and think, yeah, you ain't got nothing. <laughs> Yours is too invisible. We can't see you shaking and falling as much as we do other people. But tremors from MS may look like shaking, trembling, jerking, or twitching. An intention tremor will cause unwanted movement in the affected limb when a person is using it, such as reaching for a cup. A postural tremor will cause unwanted movement when a person is maintaining a Certain postures, such as when sitting. Uh, For people with MS, tremors are usually caused by brain lesions, specifically in the cerebellum and damaged areas called plaques along the nerve pathways that are involved with coordinating movement. The same plaques sometimes also result in other symptoms, such as dysphagia, difficulty swallowing, or dysphagia. Dysarthria, dysarthria, which is difficulty speaking, which I am having at the moment, all the time usually. Tremors can get worse over time and be more difficult to manage if a person already has poor eyesight or numbness in the body. A person with MS may trigger tremors with caffeine or anxiety. And that's the one that drives me the biggest nuts. If I get pissed... <laughs> Or if there's a confrontation or something, I feel like I'm just weak and breaking down because also my whole body will just start shaking and tremoring. I'm going through it right now just talking about it. Like when I get my brain really active, my tremors just get going. And it's like right now I'm having from my neck, through my arms, my shoulders, my chest. And it's stopping right about the top of the stomach. So it's like I'm going through them. And then, yeah, I feel it in my legs a little bit, too. But a person with MS may experience more tremors at night if they have a resting tremor. This type of tremor occurs most often when a person is sitting still versus moving. However, resting tremors are more common in Parkinson's disease than MS. So I'm assuming what I'm going through right now is a resting tremor. This thing is just amping itself up. It's the perfect time for it to happen. <laughs> happening. I'd love to have all my conditions pop. Well, I don't love to have them all, but it would be nice to have them all pop up while I'm talking about them so I can experience them and understand them more as I'm dealing with them. But there are two primary types of tremor, resting and action. Resting tremor occurs when there is shaking, even when a body part is at rest. For example, a person may be sitting comfortably with their hands resting at their lap. 
their fingers shake. Say, so, yeah, my right right hand's shaking away. My left hand's holding a microphone. It's kind of like jerking around. <laughs> um, action tremor occurs when a muscle is being voluntary, voluntarily moved. For example, a person may be reaching to pick up a glass of water and their hand starts to shake and you drop the damn hand so that you already grab a utensil or something and think it was flinging <laughs> out of your hand. But I haven't broke anything <laughs> very valuable yet that I usually don't don't carry it either. I'll make my wife carry stuff. Uh there are a number of subclassifications of action tremor, including intention tremor. These are associated with physical movement. There is no shaking when a person is at rest. Tremor develops and becomes more pronounced as they attempt to make a precise movement, such as shifting a foot or hand to a specific spot. A postural tremor. These are associated with moving or supporting against gravity such as a tremor that develops while standing or sitting, but not while laying down. Nystagmus, these tremors are associated with jumpy eye movements. Yeah, those are fun, too. I've had them, too. You pretty much say I've dealt with all these. This thing's just getting worse. It's getting up into my cheeks and face right now at the moment. So I have to get this podcast done and take a break, I think. Uh, for people with MS, the most common forms of tremor are intention tremor and postural tremor. What set mine off is I'm doing a variety of these little mini segments today to try and get them, get them stored away so I can put them at, into other podcasts. I think it's just so much brain activity reading and speaking today. It's just setting off all my tremors. And now it's starting to get into my jaw and stuff too, so that sucks. When you're trying to talk. Currently, there are no cure for tremors, but there are always there are ways for people with MS to reduce their current occurrence and improve function. Sorry, ain't <laughs> hard to talk with this, but the following lifestyle changes may help decrease the occurrences of tremors: avoid stress, getting enough rest. And avoiding caffeinated drinks. I only had a half a cup of coffee today, damn it. So that's not part of it. Should have probably had the rest, had to finish the coffee off. Uh, finish, physical and occupational therapists can help protect, help. God, my brain's like not seeing words now all of a sudden. Can help people with MS control tremors by teaching exercises for coordination and balance. Recommending stabilizing braces in certain cases. Demonstrating how to use weights to compensate for tremors. Teaching new ways of performing daily activities that MS tremors might make challenging. Medications they have out there. Some things like beta blockers, such as propranolol, which is enderol. I was wondering when that phone was going to ring. We haven't had a telemarketer call in a while. Uh, no one's talking. Anti-anxiety medications such as buspirone, which is buspar, and clonazepam, which is clonopin. Anti-convulsive drugs such as primidone, which is mycelin. anti Anti-tuberculosis medications such as isoniazid, antihistamines such as hydroxine, hydrochloride, atarax, and hydroxyzine, pamoate, which is visceral, diuretics such as acetose. Acetazolamide, which is Diamox. Uh, yeah, we got to finish this one up. <laughs> MS can be treated but not cured. There are some natural remedies that may complement other MS treatments and help relieve symptoms. These include cannabis, sativa, 
That's the weed. Ginkgo biloba, saffron extract, which I love when I can get my fingers on some saffron. But that shit's so expensive. I love using it in cooking. Uh, St. John's wort, curcumin, ginger, evening primrose oil, valerian, kava, and green tea. These natural remedies for MS may help with symptoms such as inflammation, anxiety, difficulty, sleep, and pain. Uh, Botox injections were used to temporarily smooth facial lines, significantly improved arm tremor in people with MS. Uh, They can do surgery for people with MS who have severe disabling tremors despite medications. Maybe good candidates for surgical treatments. There are two types of surgery that may help tremors in people with MS. It's the thalamotomy and deep brain stimulation. Thalamotomy is a surgery that destroys a part of the thalamus, the structure in the brain that helps control movements. Which I don't know why that, how that could be good any, in any way, shape, or form. We got enough problems with our controlling our movements the way it is and then you're going to kill off even more stuff to that helps us control our movements that makes no sense but i'm not a doctor uh my tremors started to mellow out for a second i didn't want to say nothing because i'm like hey they're, <laughs> they're going away and all of a sudden it's damped off and now it feels like someone's nailing me with a sledgehammer in the back of the neck and spine and head it's just Brain like crazy all the way down through my shoulders, arms, and chest. Uh, deep brain stimulation implants a tiny electrode into the thalamus. The electrode is then attached to a wire that connects to a device under the skin in the chest area. The device delivers small electrical impulses to the thalamus. Deep brain stimulation isn't approved by the Food and Drug Administration the FDA for treatment of MS-related tremors. However, it has been used successfully for this purpose and other conditions that cause tremors, such as Parkinson's disease. Uh, MS tremors that develop for some people can be mild or severe, or they can be disabling. While there is no cure for tremors yet, people with MS have ways to reduce the occurrence of tremors and improve function, including physical and occupational therapy, medications, and lifestyle changes. A person may want to see their doctor if they experience tremors for the first time or if the tremor gets worse or drastically changes. So take those into consideration. See if you can get some help. I don't, no one's done anything for me, but mine are just, they come on randomly. Usually when my brain's really active. So it really sucks when happening <laughs> during podcasting. That's why I kind of pre-review a lot of my stuff. So it's kind of in my head already. So it's not overloading my brain and causing these issues. But it does happen quite a bit when I'm overworking that brain or overactive. Or if I'm out in public around a big group of people and I'm talking and stuff and trying to think and answer questions also, I'll go into full body shakes and stuff, but, but yeah, see what you can do. Talk to your PCP and see if they can help you out. And we'll get back to you soon. Just keep that monster in check. Time for another MS health segment. Why don't we teach you how to poop better? <laughs> uh, uh, diet changes the proper positioning. Here are some things that work for other people to keep their balls happy and their step a little lighter. <laughs> One of the simplest ways to flush out the digestive tract is to drink hot water. First thing in the morning when you wake, cold water doesn't hurt, but it won't get things going quite as fast. 
and you step out of bed, switch on the kettle and fill a large thermos before you do anything else. In a perfect world, your shower. Step number two after your number two. <laughs> uh, we all have those days when we're backed up. Yeah, not often for me. In that case, just keep sipping until the magic happens. And that's why you want that hot cup of coffee. It's a diuretic and warm. That warm water going through your system and stuff. If you drink lots of hot water but not feeling any rumblings, try adding a little fresh ginger. Ginger is anti-inflammatory and may help the stomach contract. You can finally chop grate or use a food processor and keep a batch of ginger in the fridge just for, for this purpose. It doesn't hurt to throw a bit into sauces or curries either. It's like ginger is good for you and many anti-inflammatory style benefits. So I like putting it in my tea and my coffee. And of course, my salad dressing and stuff that I've given that recipe out many times. If you're short on time, it can work to simply add some ginger to your hot water. In that case, it's best to chew the ginger to get all the juices out. Plus the chewing sends signals to your brain to get the digestive process flowing. In some cases, this can be enough to trigger trigger a, a poop episode. <laughs> you can squat it out. <laughs> An often overlooked aspect of pooping is the fact that our body position matters. Why? Our digestive system contains a series of sphincters, which are rings of muscles serving to guard or close various openings. <laughs> hmm. Take the pyloric sphincter, which acts as a gateway between the stomach and the small intestine. It moves food into the small intestine and prevents it from re-entering the stomach. Further down is the anal sphincter, which expels waste from the body. Gravity helps this sphincter do its job. Squatting helps separate the sit bones, making space for the sphincter to fully expand and waste and move through. And that's why they came up and invented the squatty potty. <laughs> I've heard lots of great things about it, but... <laughs> Uh, similarly, women are sometimes advised to squat during labor and delivery to open the pelvis and let baby pass through the birth canal more easily. Uh, you can also try a squatty potty, which is mentioned, or one of the many variations that are out there. They're essentially stools for your stool. <laughs> They'll help you. Get into an optimum position to let it all out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can shop for toilet foot stools and squatty potties online. Uh, another simple way to keep your digestion running smoothly is to avoid eating late into the evening. Most foods take several hours to digest, with some taking up to two days. So during sleep, the digestion, pro digestion process slows down. This means the undigested food spends more time in the digestive tract. Uh, one study suggests that meal timing has a significant impact on weight regula regulation, metabolism, and circadian rhythm. This means that when we eat, maybe as important as what we eat, Eating close to bedtime also increases the risk of acid reflux, or GERD, G-E-R-D. Uh, foods that are high in fiber help push food and waste products through the body. They leave the stomach without being digested and end up in your colon, where they feed good bacteria and help relieve constipation which we talked about the good and bad bacteria is not long ago. Uh, another go-to is uh, chia, chia porridge. 
basically soak your chia seeds in water for an hour before you want to eat them, then add some type of protein powder, uh, which can also be high in fiber and it can come in chocolate flavor if, that's, if you want some type of better flavoring. Uh, then add some ground flax meal to give your porridge extra texture, fiber, and a nutty taste. You can add goji berries, raisin, nuts, and seeds to spruce it up and add some crunch. Some other high-fiber foods include carrots, broccolis, broccolis, <laughs> broccoli, Brussels sprouts, uh, lentils, kidney beans, chickpeas, oats, quinoa, sweet potatoes. Uh, yeah, a lot of stuff like chia seeds, goji berries, and all that stuff might be easier to get online if you don't have a wide variety grocery store nearby. Uh, you can include liquids in your diet. Uh, thick smoothies made of leafy greens contain a lot of fiber and give your body necessary liquid to help flush them out. Uh, bone broth is an excellent way to get some goodies in your system. Uh, mix some in with your hot water each morning and continue drinking periodically through the day to keep hydration levels high. Bone broth is chock full of minerals and vitamins as well as amino acids that may help reduce inflammation. Eating soups and stews is another great way to increase hydration in your diet and bone broth can be added to increase flavor and nutrient content. Soups and stews make a great base for some uh, your favorite foods like beef, dark leafy greens, root vegetables, and seaweeds. This way you can still enjoy meat without getting backed up. Think full and you're on the right track. Uh, you can also have flavorings like miso for added probiotics, which aid in digestion. Uh, you can try psyllium husks. These bad boys are made up of the husks from seeds of plantigo ovata plant. They are a prebiotic that creates bulk in the digestive system, soaking up extra water and ushering things in the right direction. Uh, apple cider vinegar is a simple hack to fire up your tummy in the morning. Just take a swig of apple cider vinegar. Well, I don't suggest that. No, I suggest you always break your apple cider vinegar down, at least with 50% water or oil or something. That can be harsh. It can be harsh on your system also. Uh, apple cider vinegar is believed to increase stomach acid and pepsin, the enzyme that breaks down protein. It's also proven to kill harmful bacteria. So that's a plus. Uh, magnesium citrate is another option that can help you go. It relaxes the bowels and pulls water into the intestines, which softens and bulks up the stool. This makes it easier to fast waste waste. Follow the dosage on packaging and check with your doctor if you experience symptoms like sweating, weakness, severe cramping, or severe diarrhea. Vitamin and mineral supplements are subject to fairly limited regulation by the FDA to ensure the safety and accuracy of the product. Look for supplements that have been certified by a third-party testing organization. Uh, when you're really desperate, a little caffeine can go a long way. Since it's a stimulant, uh, and after you have your coffee, make sure you hydrate to replace the lost liquid from drinking the diuretic. Uh, decaf works too. It can stim. It's still showing to stimulate the bowels. Just not as well as caffeine. Uh, things to keep in mind. Well, a little bit of irrig 
irregularity is common. You should take, talk to your doctor if you experience significant constipation. Signs include less than three bowel movements a week, stools that are hard and dry, straining or pain when you go, and feeling full after you go. <laughs> uh, your jo doctor could share treatment and prevention, prevention options to get you back on track. Basically, a new poo routine. As you try these solutions, go slowly. Take it easy on yourself. A little bit goes a long way, especially when it comes to sensitive body functions. Don't overdo it and don't force it. Your body may just need a little coaxing to help get regular again. With a little bit of body awareness, healthy habits, and experimentation, you can poo like nobody's business. <laughs> Try those things out and keep the monster in check, and we'll get back to you again soon.